Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Mountain View Church, Sunnyside. For gathering times and location, find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. At this point of the year, a lot of people want to start a new routine, new year, new me. I'm going to do everything right perfectly and just see how long it'll last. I was listening to a podcast of a guy who, who decided he's going to do that. And for him, his thing was swimming. If I can swim in the morning, I'm going to get all the good physical stuff that comes from exercising and then it's going to carry me through the day. Uh, and he was swimming in the mountains in Colorado. Somehow, some way, someplace, he found a heated pool. It's outdoors, so anything could be there. So one day he's swimming and he does a kick turn, which is like sorcery in my opinion, but he somehow makes that happen. He's going back the other way and all of a sudden he sees a furry thing jump in the water on top of him. Now, if we are at our own home, we have a pretty small idea of what that realistically could be. Because if you've got a pool in your backyard, you probably also have a fence, which means there's lots of other things that you don't have in your backyard. But if you're in the mountains, in the wilderness, That could be anything. So all he knows is it's fur, it's on me, it's not very comfortable. And so he books it as fast as he can to get away from the fur. And he's thinking this could be a bear, this could be a mountain lion, this could be my death. And he turns around far enough away and realizes it is a really happy dog. He saw the dude in the pool and the dog's like, this is going to be a great day. And the guy's just swimming left, right, left, right. And the dog jumps in. And the guy, once realizing that he's not going to die, thought, oh, this is pretty interesting. My routine of doing a little bit of exercise in the morning and then letting that carry throughout the day, today is not going to be a routine day. What we're going to talk about today is a moment, a day that Jesus had where he stepped into a bunch of other people's routines. For Jesus, it was all routine because he came into the world to seek and save those who were lost. And everyone he comes into contact with, their day radically changes by Jesus doing Jesus things. Nothing that happens is totally out of the normal for him because he's God with skin on. But what he did is he changed other people's lives by Jesus jumping into their life. They had an expectation of how things were going to go, and Jesus jumps in, and everything changes. And so today, we're going to look at a day in the life of Jesus. And we're doing this because we're not just going to approve it. We're not just going to absorb it. We want to participate in this today. At the end of the service, our prayer team is going to be on the side today because the things that Jesus does in the book, we want to see him do in the room. He didn't change his plans. Everything else in the world has changed, but Jesus' power, Jesus' love, Jesus' presence in here doesn't change with the year. He's on his throne. Regardless of how you feel about him or what arrangements or reservations you made this morning, Jesus loves you. He wants to work in your life today, this year. And so today we're checking out a day in the life of Jesus. We're going to be in Luke 8, 22 to 56. We're going to read a bunch today. So if you're usually here and you decide, you know what, you're going to read, you're fine. I don't need to follow along. Today's the day to follow along. If you've got a smartphone and the note thing that you walked in with, scan the code. It'll take you right to the passage. And we're going to jump into a day in the life of Jesus. Luke 8, starting in verse 22. He said, one day. Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon, a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. 
When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. The first thing that we see here is the power of Jesus. I love it that it says that it was, it was a real storm, like it was bad news. Jesus had accountants and indoorsy people with him among his 12 in the boat that day, and he also had professional fishermen. And so I think that as Luke, the guy who wrote this, is wandering around asking people all their stories about Jesus, if one guy would have said, yeah, it was really scary, it was bad, the waves are like six inches high. <laughs> and then the professional fishermen are like, nah, it's fine. Everything was fine. Then Luke would have written, it was fine. But the professionals tell Luke, it's really bad. We were in big trouble. And the professional fishermen tell Jesus, we were outmatched. They wake Jesus up, not because they, they want him to, to experience Galilee. He created it all, so he knows it all. They woke him up because in the middle of the things of their life that they could control, they realized they were in trouble. I think every one of us who walks in here this morning, we've all got some measure of control over our lives. You know, we can compare your life to mine, and I can look at the stuff that you do, and, and seriously, I have no clue how most of you do your job. But you do, because it's your job, your job. You know exactly what you're doing. For all of us this year, there are going to be things that we cannot control that happen. And when those happen, when that day comes, when that moment comes, when the, the stuff hits the fan, we've got few options. We can be paralyzed. We can do nothing. Just freak out, stare ahead, walk right ahead. Or we can panic, which is like the opposite. And just stuff's flying everywhere. Words are flying everywhere. Emotions are flying everywhere. We can be paralyzed. We can panic. We can also paddle. That's the person who makes a plan right away. This is how we're going to get through it. If you're looking around and you're thinking, I don't know if any of those people are in here. That's right. They came to 9 a.m., because 9 a.m. service is the planning service. They've already made a plan about everything they're going to do for the rest of the week because they're the planners. <laughs> All those things are going to exhaust us. What Jesus says is you're going to go through life and there's going to be moments where you do not know what's going on. You are outmatched. You're a professional fisherman on a boat and you think you're going to die. And so what do we do? We wake Jesus. And I, he's God with skin on. So he was humanly asleep and divinely awake because he's God and he can do stuff like that. But the first thing that people do to bring peace to the situation is they get Jesus. They start talking to Jesus. We can be paralyzed. We can panic. We can plan or we can pray. We can bring the power of Jesus into what's going on in our life. They wake Jesus up and instantly the sea is calm. And then he asks them, verse 25, where is your faith? I don't think this is like angry Jesus. Where is your faith? You're weaklings. You stink. He's saying, hey, I'm in the boat. I'm here. Outside, it's always going to be chaotic, but I'm here. There's peace when I'm here. Like I said, the prayer team is going to be on the side and in the back at the end of the service. And in a room this size with this many people, we've got some people who are going through storms. And what Jesus wants to remind you of, not just in a Bible way, but in a heart way, is that he's here. So today as we close, for some of you, the, the healing that you need, the miracle that you need, is for God to lead you through the storm. Every single human that we find in the Bible, Jesus included, because Jesus was human just like we are, their life gets crazy. 
Like Jesus being in the boat didn't cancel the storm. Jesus speaking to the storm canceled the storm. The storm was already there, and Jesus tells it to be calm, to stop. Jesus being in your life and mine this year doesn't mean that there's going to be no storms. It means that we're going to follow Jesus through them. And so for some of you, as we close today, your response, your activation of your faith today is saying, okay, Jesus, I, I'm in the storm, and I need you to stop the storm. I need you to lead me through the storm. Do one of those two things to see God's power poured out in your life today. He's saying you can trust me through the storm. Why does God tell us to trust him? It's, it's simple. It's because what's next? Next verse in the story, verse 26, it says, So they arrived in the region of the Gerizines across the lake from Galilee. And as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Like, this is why he crossed the lake. It's one person. Jesus took his 12 followers, everyone who, well, everyone minus one, if you know the story. Spoiler alert, one of the 12 doesn't make it. But he took his 12 guys who were going to, supposed to take Jesus' message everywhere as, after Jesus dies, rises from the dead, ascends to heaven. He gets all of them on a boat, goes across the lake where they almost die. And the reason why he risked everybody's life and limb was one person. Like, if we're running the math, that doesn't make sense. Like, you go take solo trip. Don't take all your assets and put them into a storm. But with Jesus, it's one person. And one person is always enough for Jesus. If you look at your own life and you think, man, there's 8 billion people in the world. There's war everywhere. Everything's broken. What does God want to do with me? Everything. Because you're one person. And with Jesus, one person is always enough. So he lands on the shore, he steps off the boat, he steps onto dry ground, and the first person who comes to him is the weirdest welcome committee in the whole world. It's a guy who's lived among dead people, naked, outside of society forever, and so all of a sudden, this guy is running at the Son of God, the pure, holy, spotless, blameless, sinless Son of God, born in our place to die for our sins, God with skin on, made holy and human right in front of him. And one of the people is upset. Is not Jesus. One person was enough, but no one person brings enough trouble and enough sin and enough brokenness to upset Jesus. I think Jesus looks at the guy and he's got, he's got tears in his eyes for the way that this guy has allowed sin to ravage his life and the brokenness that he must be living under. And he's got fire in his eyes for the way that the devil wants to destroy lives. And this guy is a blurred out picture of exactly how that looks. Instead of saying it's okay, Jesus offers him something better. He offers him compassion. Like the guy's broken on so many levels. The fact that he's running around naked is like that's part of it. But there's so much more. Like he's living among dead people. In our day, we could say, you know, all of us are going to die. That is a solid business plan. Kudos to that guy. But in that day, that, that wasn't it. If you're among dead people, you're unclean. You can't be around other people. So this guy lived there. He wasn't just permanently unacceptable. He lived in unacceptable. 
And then also in that day, there's no country folk. So him being outside of everybody else isn't just a residential thing. It's a communal thing. Nobody wanted the guy around. And the thing that, that I look at this, when, when we look at the compassion of Jesus around this, is that this didn't just like start one day. Like the guy's naked, living in a cemetery, far apart from society. It's not like he woke up and ripped off his tearaway toga and he's now like, I'm, I'm free, I'm going to live. Like this started day by day. A little bit of destruction that doesn't get dealt with. It moves in and the guy says, okay, I could deal with this. I could talk to somebody. I could get prayer. I could, I could bring this to Jesus. You know, I could wake up Jesus like the last people in the story. Or I could just push it down. Then you wake up the next day, I, next day, I could deal with it, I could, I could talk to somebody, I could pray about it, I could bring it to Jesus. No, I'm just going to push it down. And when we keep pushing things down, the things don't stay down. When they go down, they start lifting weights and they start recruiting. So the demonic activity in your life and mine that we just push down comes back, and it comes back strong. And so for this guy, Jesus meets him at the most destructive part of his life. And in a moment where he's told himself, You're, everybody else is going to have to deal with this. I'm not dealing with this. Jesus steps in to deal with the guy's problems. He never tells him it's okay. Instead, he tells him something different. Verse 32, there happened to be a large herd of pigs nearby on the hillside. And the demons begged, to let, begged Jesus to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and they drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerizines begged Jesus to go away and to leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. It's a one-way, it's a round trip to free one person. All this for one person. I think the best part about it is everything that the guy said, you're, everyone around me is going to have to deal with this. I'm not going to deal with it. Jesus came and he solved in a day. Years and years of pushing it down and not dealing with it and allowing the work of the devil to take over his life, Jesus canceled in one day. I mean, if we picture ourselves in that situation, there's nothing clean, there's nothing kind of neat and tidy about this. It's a mess. And Jesus walks right into it. Which means that for your life and mine, there's no sin, no brokenness, no destruction that we can bring to Jesus that he can't solve in an instant whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's sexual, whether it's personal, whether it's familial, whether it's marital, whatever it is. Like there's just a mess personified and Jesus walks right at it and he heals it. And then he does something that I love. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home. Like, we would agree with that, right? Nobody wants this guy around. You'd have no clue what's going to happen when you go to sleep and this guy's awake. Your stuff is going to become his stuff, especially your clothes, because he hadn't had any in a while. Like, what's going to go on? And Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. Here's what I want you to see in this. There's no bench time, all right? 
This guy just went from team devil to team Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, well, you need to like just be quiet. Don't talk to anybody for like 10 to 15 years. Eventually, you're going to be able to like be my example. And you can tell people about me everywhere you go. He goes from craziness to enlisted and activated in ministry right away. And for some of you, that's what I want you to hear. This is what I want you to grab from this. Is part of the healing that you need in your life today is understanding that in you, in your history, in your future, in your current, all these things, that God looks at you and says, I want this person, this man, this woman on mission for me. Like there's no bench time in the story. Adam mentioned it earlier, uh, three weeks from now on the 28th in the cafe after each service, uh, we're going to have a missions info meeting. And all you need to have prepared when you show up there is come with an appetite because there will be donuts and coffee and all that stuff like there is every single Sunday. But for some of you, this is what activation looks like. This is what getting in the game and off the bench looks like. If legally you can travel, then this is God's mission for all of us. The reason that Jesus is spread across the globe is because there's men and women like you and me who throw in the trash what our lives have become and say, I'm going to make what my life is now and for the future, make that for Jesus. Because there are no perfect people, there are no perfect missionaries. The only one died on a cross, rose from the dead, and went up to heaven. And now he said, all you broken people, I want you to go take my mission everywhere, take my message everywhere. It's God's compassion for you and for me that he sends us out to change the world. And for some of you, this summer, it's going to be your first summer to get off the bench because you've spent way too much time there. And this summer, you're going to get off the bench, and you're going to take a step of faith and a different area code, and God's going to change your life for it, and it's never going to be the same again. It's the compassion of Jesus. And then it continues. On the, other side of the, on the other side of the lake, crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, the leader of a local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately... The bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Man, this is the intimacy of Jesus. Like, who calls a grown woman daughter? That's simple. It's her dad. Like, Jesus is saying, one, I'm God. Two, in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible before Jesus, people had always referred to the guy in the sky as God. There, there's like an order, there's a respect, there's a reverence, there, there's vertical separation between busted humans who look like me and holy God. And then Jesus shows, on the, shows up on the scene and he stands on our level. He, he's similar with us. He's made like us, but he made, made totally unlike us and that he never sins. And when he teaches his people how to pray, Catholics help me out, he starts out with our Father. Father. See, it's going to be different. The way that I see you now, it's not like I'm going to crush you. It's that 
I'm coming to live in your place to die for your sins so that the weight of your sin and the separation between you and God and the wrath of God that you and I have incurred because of our lives, that doesn't crush us. Instead, the blood of Jesus spares us and separates us and forgives us. So he calls her daughter. It's intimacy because that's what she needs. Like her area for healing isn't seen like everybody else's. She's done the best of her ability to cover it up so nobody knows. And Jesus shows up and says, my daughter, I know everything. I mean, in our day, he would say, I, I read your Carfax. You can't hide anything. Don't care how tightly you wrap it, I know everything. And I'm not just healing you, not just saying, okay, you're good, like stay over there. He says, daughter. I think for some of us today, the area where we need healing in our lives is because we think that we're totally unacceptable to God. I mean, yeah, he's forgiven us and everything, but it's kind of like stay over there, still practicing social distance, just over there a little bit. And what you need to get freedom in today is the idea that Jesus loves you. That it's not just all the destruction is taken away like the last guy. It's that you're forgiven, you're set free, you're healed, and then you're brought in as family. That the Holy Spirit who fills people in the Bible and fills people in the world and fills people in the church, that that same God wants to live in you today. And this freedom that you need, the intimacy that you need is a fresh encounter with God, your heavenly Father, your perfect Father who loves you and wants a relationship with you. So the story continues, verse 49. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Like, we, we would agree with the person, okay? If you're sending Jesus to heal the girl, and the girl dies, it's, it's no longer healing. Now you're just planning the funeral. Right? That's part of the finality of death is when somebody dies, it's over. It's dead. But the authority of Jesus says something else. The authority of Jesus meant something different for us. And the fact that Jesus came as a human like us, 100% God, 100% human, died on a cross, was professionally executed by professional executors, means something to us. This is God giving you and me a gift. Because up to this point, everyone in the story has a feeling, all right? All the wind might have stopped, but you'd need like a windometer to know if it went from 1,000 to zero. The guy who's running around crazy, he could have been faking it. The woman who had the issue inside, like, she was healed, but nobody's going to check that. That's super weird. You go from a girl who is dead. Now we've got a place to work. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, it was an event that happened. Our faith, the basis for what we believe God to be and to do in our lives, isn't based on a feeling. It's based on a fact that God died. That Jesus died in your place and mine. And that's a sign. It's a symbol of the fact that we are dead to our old life. That our old captivity to sin, our old bondage to sin is dead. Not to come back. 
And then when Jesus was dead for three days and decided, I'm done being dead, and God raised him from the dead by God's power on display in Jesus, Jesus walks out of his own grave as another sign of saying, just as I am dead to my old life, professionally executed, and now walking out with new life, that's your life too. It's a sign of what Jesus wants to do in you, through you, with you, around you, for you, and to change the world because of that. It's God's authority. So a dead girl, which seems to stop the party, like the guy says, there's no use now. Jesus says something different. He says something different. He speaks into the finality of death. Hebrews 2 uh, says this. We had this up a few weeks. It works here again. That because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. Let's go to the next one. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So it's a picture saying that there's going to be a breaking, that the control that the devil had over your life and mine, things are going to change. So verse 50, when Jesus heard what has happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone else go in with him except Jairus. Peter, James, John, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. And then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. She immediately stood up. Then Jesus said to uh, Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. It's God's power poured out, moving somebody from death to life. And I want you to hear this clearly. It's not because she's special. It's because this is what the power of God does, is it makes dead things alive. It brings people back from the dead, dead to sin, dead physically, broken physically. It doesn't matter. The authority of Jesus raises us to new life, and the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of everyone who believes in him. And so we're going to pray for healing today. We're going to pray for that spirit to come out in areas where we need to see God's power in the storm, in areas where we need to see God's compassion over our destruction, in areas where we need to see God's intimacy over every way that we have disqualified, discontinued, discounted ourselves from being able to live in a relationship with God, and then God's authority also over our physical bodies. Jesus was physically dead and physically alive to show us that God still does that with bodies. And part of the advantage of us asking for healing in our bodies is because we can feel it. We can see it. We can testify that it is different. And I don't feel like it's different. It is different. Jesus was dead, and then he was different. He was alive. And the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and me. This is a day in the life of Jesus, a day in the routine of Jesus, where he goes through our world living nothing like us and bringing freedom to everyone who comes to him. We're going to respond to that. Let's stand and let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, you can find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. Now let's go be a church that makes Jesus look good.